0: Guardian Unlimited.
1: Questions to the Prime Minister. Mark Harper,
2: number one, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, as the House will be aware, my right-honourable friend, the Prime Minister, is in Riga at the NATO summit. My right-honourable friend, the Defence Secretary, who is accompanying the Prime Minister, will be making a statement to the House tomorrow. Mr Speaker, the Right Honourable Friend, the Prime Minister, has made clear on a number of occasions that any contact with injured soldiers is a private matter and should remain so. In addition, Mr Speaker, I am sure the whole House will wish to join with me in sending our condolences to the family and to the friends of Sergeant Hollinsworth, who was killed in Iraq last Friday. The whole House will be very proud and grateful for the difficult and dangerous job he and others were doing on behalf of
0: this country. Amen.
2: I thank the uh, Deputy Prime Minister for that
3: reply and uh, those of us on this side will join him in sending our condolences to Sergeant Hollingsworth's family. Um, uh, The Prime Minister has refused to answer this question when I've tabled to him in writing and indeed it's extraordinary the lengths he'll go to to avoid answering it on the floor of the House. But my question is this, the Defence Secretary is perfectly... Are open to answering this question, not about individual soldiers, but simply about when and where he's visited them. Why won't the prime Minister be as open and frank as the defense secretary? Yeah. What has he got to hide?
0: Yeah. I
2: think the Prime Minister on every occasion has made clear these are private matters. that still is his position. I repeat it for him yeah. William
0: Higgs. Yeah.
1: Mr. Speaker, I join with the Deputy Prime Minister, my Honourable Friend, in paying tribute to Sergeant Jonathan Hollingsworth and in sending our deepest condolences to his family. My right Honourable Friend, the Leader of the Opposition, and I returned from Baghdad this morning, including having visited injured soldiers in Basra, and we returned full of admiration for the incredible robustness and courage of our troops, but perfectly clear as well that the situation they face with tens of thousands of roadside bombs this year and increasing sectarian violence is not getting any easier. Will the Deputy Prime Minister spell out how the Government will encourage the Iraqi Government urgently to achieve an internal political settlement within Iraq?
2: I think the House will be pleased that the Honourable Member has visited our troops in the most difficult circumstances and we all expressed the appreciation and the braveries mentioned of their operations. But I do think that uh, from his discussions with them, I think, in Iraq, they have made clear that we're working extremely hard with the government and the authorities to bring about a peaceful solution to the situation in Basra.
1: Well, the, the politicians we met in Baghdad were adamant that only with a rapid improvement in the security situation could anything else be achieved. So, Does the Deputy Prime Minister agree that any future internal agreement could be reinforced by the early creation of an international contact group formed initially by members of the UN Security Council and some neighbouring states. And is that something the government would support and would recommend to the American administration?
2: I think it is a matter that the Prime Minister, I think, has mentioned to the House on a number of occasions that he would like to encourage the neighbouring countries to participate in those kind of agreements. It is not easy. It's difficult. Some of those countries are playing a very difficult part and encouraging the kind of um, assaults and um, injuries that are taking place there, and they could do an awful lot more to prevent it. Uh, I think anything that helps towards that, and if in his discussions with those people is encouraging that kind of development, I'm sure we'd welcome it.
1: And finally on Iraq, Mr Speaker, on on Monday the Defence Secretary said he expected that by the end of next year British forces in Iraq would be reduced by a matter of thousands. Can the Deputy Prime Minister tell the House whether this will depend on the security situation, and if so, by what criteria the security situation will be judged?
0: Well,
2: as he knows from his own discussions, I think while he was over there we've made it clear that security is the most important thing there and it will have to be that um, negotiations to achieve that either by the use of the military and the police forces to achieve that stable situation is not our intention to withdraw entirely from there we will give support, but he will know from his discussions a lot of good work has been done, we have achieved some stability in that area and we will continue to try to do so uh, uh, It's now
1: an an
3: open question
2: David (laughs) Cleland Thank you Mr Speaker Uh, Is my right honourable friend aware that uh, carers whose earnings are (coughs) limited because they're caring for someone elderly, uh, disabled or or terminally ill uh, lose the whole of their £46 carer's allowance if their earnings rise even marginally above £84 per week? Is he further aware that the latest increase in the minimum wage has resulted in just such a scenario for many carers who are now thousands of pounds a year worse off? Uh, Does he agree with me that the minimum wage was never intended to bring about such a situation? And will he look into this as a matter of urgency in order to bring about a fair deal for carers? I think this government can claim that he has been concerned about a fair deal for carers. It was the first government to bring in a payment for carers, which was important. Minimum wage, indeed, has played a very important part in this. I think what he's referring to, of course, is those in these marginal areas now where we're having these difficulties. And I'm sure the Secretary of State will take a note of what they've said and we'll be discussing these matters. Cable uh,
3: Can I add my tribute to Sergeant Hollingsworth of the Parachute Regiment? Uh, Can they, Deputy Prime Minister, help us to interpret the comments of the Prime Minister on Monday to regional journalists, uh, that people in the North should worry less about the North-South divide and regional inequalities, despite the evidence from the Treasury uh, that regional inequalities and growth remain as significant as ever?
2: Uh, I'm not so sure his analysis is correct. I, I recognise he spent an awful lot of time looking at the economic data, but I have to tell him the latest report i had seen that... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just recognising the ability of the Honourable Member to add to our economic debates with a great deal of information. But I have to tell him that the latest uh, analysis i had seen, that we had reduced the differential between the North and the South, and that came about because of the development of the regional development agencies. And <laughs> well, perhaps I-, I appreciate they were opposed by the uh, Opposition... But I must say they played their part with a very successful economic policy which has led to a reduction of that gap between the North and the South. Yes, I, I have the benefit of the Prime Minister's comments as
3: well as the Daily Mirror's pithy summary, Blair Raps Northern Moaners. And uh, can I suggest he was trying to make a more subtle point that what really matters are differences within regions rather than between them. And on that measure, how can he explain the fact that under a Labour government, income and wealth inequalities have been worse than they were after 17 years of Tory government?
2: I can tell him that there there are two and a half more million people in work, and the differential has been reduced, but all of them have been lifted considerably better than they were when we came in in 1997. I do appreciate that the the Honourable Member may have different views at different times, because I was looking at his own record, and I've been doing my own research on him. You You know, he's moved about a bit in the arguments, but he's also moved about in his politics. In 1970, he stood for Labour in Glasgow. In 1983, he stood for the SDP in York. In 1992, he stood for the Lib Dems in Twickenham. With such nimble feet, it's no wonder he lists ballroom dancing as a hobby. The
0: the prime the Prime Minister's
3: recent statement on slavery has been widely welcomed. Will my right honourable friend support an International Day for Slavery Remembrance? And does he back the new Liverpool Slavery Museum, which looks at the implications of slavery for the present and the future, as well as for the past?
2: I think it's a very important occasion as we approach 2007 that a piece of legislation by this House should be commemorated that abolished slavery. It's something that I think we're all proud of that this House was able to do 200 years ago. But slavery is not gone. Trafficking in modern slavery is certainly very much with us, as has been said from time to time, and I certainly support what what has been said in Liverpool. Indeed, it's not only a national commemoration, it's an international one as well. And indeed, I leave today to go to New York to talk about the resolution yesterday with the Secretary-General of the UN about how we can make it an international commemoration on the whole issue of slavery, not only 200 years ago, but to stop the terrible trade that occurs today in modern slavery. And I'm delighted the man who moved it was the MP for Hull 200 years ago.
3: Mr. Speaker, three years ago, my constituent James Woolacott contracted MRSA in hospital following successful surgery on his knee. Since then, he has suffered significant problems with mobility, he is in constant pain and has had five corrective operations and will require further surgery in the new year. He is just 23 years old. What assurance can the Deputy Prime Minister give to him and other victims of MRSA that combating hospital-acquired infections will not be compromised
1: by the current financial pressures in the NHS?
2: I think the record of this government on the NHS is very good for all to see. The amount of resources that we put in... It's something we should be proud of. We were the ones that created the National Health Service. We are the ones that have sustained it. And every time we try to bring in the resources to make the improvements, they've always been opposed by the opposition. So make no mistake about it, we will proudly defend the National Health Service. It is our creation and millions of people in this country are totally dependent upon it and we will see that we will continue to provide the very high quality service of the National Health Service.
3: Isn't it a nonsense to call for a crackdown on illegal immigration without investing in the necessary I- identity technologies to tell us who's co- who moving in and moving out of the country and who shouldn't or should not be here? And isn't it hypocrisy to talk about greater protection from criminals and terrorists without giving our police the powers they ask for in order to do the job we want them to do? Yeah.
2: I think that is precisely what we're doing as a government, as the Home Secretary has made clear and other uh, people have said in the Queen's speech. Security is the heart of what this government is prepared to bring about. It is the citizens' right that we're concerned in in these matters. And the ID card is a very important part of that. And I have to say to him that I note in the use of identity technology that the former chairman of the Joint Intelligence Committee has said that there is a case for the ID cards. She's now Chair of the Conservative Security Policy Group. Oh. And I know the right honourable gentleman, uh, the, uh, uh, the Tories voted against the ID cards. Perhaps when they report, they'll listen to her, her advice on this occasion in regard to the ID cards. Yes. Yes.
0: A scheduled
2: British Airways flight
3: from London to Turkey costs £161. The new standard-class rail fare from London to Torquay costs a staggering £184. How does this fit in with the Government's plan to encourage people to use the train? And how does it fit in with the Government's oft-repeated claim to support the British tourism industry, an
2: industry so important to Torquay and other seaside resorts. I think the reality is, however the question is posed, that more people are travelling on public trans- transport for decades. There is more people travelling on the rails from the 40 years, and we have more people travelling on buses. And as I said in 1997, I wanted to see more people travelling on public transport. That has now been achieved. Another promise of Labour delivered.
1: Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. My Right Honourable Friend's commitment to tackling the problems of global warming and climate change are well known. Does he agree with me that local authorities have a vital role in taking this matter forward and will he ensure that local authorities have the advice and the resources and the motivation to tackle climate change at a local level?
2: Well, I thank my... Honourable Friend for his kind remarks but I have to say when I've been at this dispatch box nearly ten years ago talking about Kyoto and environment we got no support whatsoever from the opposite This country this country not only led the way on the environment change of the Kyoto agreement and in those negotiations and it's the only country with Sweden to achieve more than achieve its Kyoto targets we are now on the second stage. The Stern report points the way forward. The local authorities are extremely important in that, and we will see they have the resources and the backup to make the changes necessary to bring about the climate change that we all know is required, and we will be consistent in our policy, not the sudden change we find now amongst the opposition who discovered the climate change 10 years too late. <laughs> The
3: Deputy Prime Minister will be aware that lung cancer accounts for more than one in five cancer deaths. As we approach the end of Lung Cancer Awareness Month, will the Deputy
1: Prime Minister commit the Government to support urgent research into the value. Our, 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 let, let the Honourable Gentleman speak. Honourable Gentleman. As we approach the end of Lung Cancer Awareness Month, will the Deputy Prime Minister commit the Government to support urgent research? into the value
3: of lung cancer screening, which is looking very promising in major research in the USA, so that we are equipped to deliver a national lung cancer screening programme once the techniques are fully appraised.
2: Yes, I, I know there's a great deal in what the Honourable Member says and I think what the Government has done in the Health Service and particularly in regard to cancer treatment is a very good process and has done very well and one we should be particularly proud of. I think in his own area, if he looks at the amount of nurses, doctors and hospital investment has improved very considerably and he should welcome... Well, every constituency has benefited from those resources. The difference between the Opposition and ourselves... we. Uh,
1: order, order, could uh, the, the Deputy press- the Deputy Prime Minister could speak into the microphone. uh, uh, I help to coil.
3: Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm sure my right hon. Friend would like to congratulate the dedicated staff that work at Chorley and Preston Hospitals and the
2: quality of service that's
3: provided. Will he ensure that work will not be
1: transferred
3: into the private sector and ensure that we remain, that all referrals from GPs will go to the hospitals and not through the independent treatment centres.
2: Let's keep those dedicated staff in employment at both hospitals. Yeah. I think you've got to recognise in all this case, first of all, we're talking about the... <laughs> Mr. all we are talking about well, I am talking to somebody who is sympathetic about the health service, not somebody who is against it. Well, I am sure that I am not wishing to ignore the, uh, the speaker, and I am sorry if I have done, Mr. Speaker. But it's quite clear, i I said, on the investment in our National Health Service, we are creating additional services, both in the public and private, and in the public-private partnerships. And I think the guaranteeing of the workers in those industries, as well as the services, will be maintained. And I'm sure we'll be keeping on board the point that the Honourable Members made. William yeah. Hague.
0: Yeah. Mr
1: Speaker. In the Chancellor's first budget, he took billions of pounds a year out of pension funds. What now, after nine years, is the total cumulative amount taken out of people's pension funds? Straight into the microphone,
2: please. I'm sure the Honourable Member will tell me any second question.
0: What are we paying for? What are we paying for? Mr
1: Speaker... He's going to have to wait for the third for that. <laughs> Why? Why? Why does the taxpayer spend two million pounds a year keeping him in what one of his colleagues calls a non-job when he can't even answer a simple question yeah. at the There should be a number in that folder for the biggest destruction of savings by any government in the history of this country. Yeah. And surely he knows what the figure is for how much the pension funds have been robbed by the Chancellor. So let's ask him again, what is the figure, including all the interest and dividends they would have earned in the meantime? We'll take no lectures from the Tories
2: about pensions. They were the ones that run down the actual pension systems. They were the ones that have opposed our new pensions bill, which is indeed to strengthen the pension system. So, in fact, that the people in this country will be getting a far better pension deal. Pensioners already do. Private and public pensions. And instead of talking about whether we've robbed the pension fund, which I totally reject, as in does the Chancellor, tell us what he thinks the figure is then. Mr
1: Speaker, could he get a little less excited? Uh, We don't take any lectures from the party that uh, one of whose members brought in the biggest pension fraud in history when Robert Maxwell was sitting on those pensions. But the, but, and it's no, it's no good him saying we oppose the pensions bill. It was only published today and we haven't opposed it. We've not had anything to oppose it in the last few hours, Mr Speaker. The Right Honourable Member for Birkenhead pointed out uh, that uh, when the government came to power, they had one of the strongest pension provisions in Europe in this country, and now they have some of the weakest. 60,000 occupational pension schemes shut down, 125,000 people have lost some or all of their pension, 100 billion pounds wiped off pension funds, according to independent experts. Wasn't the right honourable member for
2: Birkenhead absolutely right? <laughs> I notice the Honourable Member has still not given us the figure that he said we robbed it from the pension fund. (laughs) Let me tell him, the Maxwell pension fund he talked about, the Maxwell pension fund, it took this government to bring in legislation to correct that abuse. It was the previous government that allowed pension holidays, previous Tory administration that allowed the pension holidays to take place that have given us a lot of the problems we've got in our pensions today. I have to tell him, all the clever remarks that he might make about these matters is certainly not convincing the electorate. Let me say to him also, if we look at the polls today, it's the honeymoon for the, the Honourable Member and his friend is over, really. And let me say to him, you know, I noticed today in the papers and on the television They have now brought in a new person now to get people to vote Tories. I've noticed it now happens to be, and I saw on the website, Mr. Tosser. Now, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know which person this man was modelled on on the front bench. But let me tell him. Let me tell him, I always thought that party was full of them, and that's why they lost three elections.
0: Uh, Barbara
3: Oncology Unit. <laughs> patients and former patients of that unit are visiting <laughs> Parliament today. I would my right yeah. hon. Friend congratulate those patients and staff of the unit for their ID card scheme. They have funding nationwide to launch this scheme and this is to help young patients whose appearance is altered by their treatment and ensure that door staff of public houses do not turn them away because of their
0: dress codes. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I think the House should welcome also that the Christie Hospital, the specialist Councillor Hospital, remains open, and despite, I think, the point being made in the election by the Honourable Member for Manchester-Withington, who campaigned with the Tories also, that this facility would close down or not be open. It, in fact, has been open this week and is now serving the people in Manchester. And I thought if he had been a bit more honest, he would have thanked the Labour Government, not only for the continuing promise to keep that facility, but for the 11,000 more nurses, thousand more consultants and 600 more GPs that are serving the area of my honourable friend and the honourable member. That is the Labour government in action. We are delivering, and the people in this country are grateful for it. Thank you, Mr.
3: Speaker. Uh, in an age when uh, employees of our national airline cannot even display a Christian cross without being suspended from their employment. Isn't there a case that Christians in this country find themselves increasingly under pressure, and with the sexual orientation regulations Many Christian leaders are speaking out against what the government is doing in putting the Christian church under pressure. And in Northern Ireland, those regulations are being imposed against the wishes of the vast majority of people in that part of the United Kingdom. Isn't it time the government caught themselves on and started listening to the majority in this country who are fed up being discriminated against as Christians?
2: I'm not a religious man myself, but I always understood that religion was about tolerance. There's not much been shown in what the Honourable Member has been said. And it's a pity we don't show more tolerance to different cultures and different religions, and we'd be a lot better off for it.
3: My friend had the opportunity to read LED Motion 327 on the government's consultation on Trident. And would he give an undertaking, Deputy Prime Minister and Deputy Leader as he is, that you, he will use his best offices to persuade the National Executive Committee to consult Labour Party members and publish the results? And publish the results.
1: Um, I stop the honourable gentleman. Simon Buns?:
0: yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah. Following a positive and helpful meeting with the honourable member for Lee the Minister of Health, for which I am extremely grateful, concerning the Broomfield Hospital PFI scheme. As the conclusion is so tantalisingly close, is there anything that the Government can do
2: to get a decision one way or another before Christmas? Uh, I thank the Honourable Gentleman for giving me notice of this question. I think he understands that some of the issues have been identified with the financing of the scheme, and following the meeting last week, I think he attended uh, uh, with the trust, he has now submitted its final report to the Strategic Health Authority for endorsement, which I think the honourable members are aware of. I can tell him that the trust, and the Strategic Health Authority, and the Department of Health will meet again in early December, and there will be a final decision before the end of the year, which I know he has been pressing for for some time. Could I also thank the Honourable Gentleman for his support for the PFI. Since 1997, over £9 billion has been allocated through PFI schemes, helping us to undertake the largest building hospital programme in our country for history. That, I think, must be welcome. And Snellgrove.
3: Would my right Honourable Friend agree that for those on very low incomes, credit unions provide a safe way of saving regularly and borrowing at a low interest rate? And would he join me in condemning companies like Provident Personal Credit, which have offered loans at 177% interest to my constituents who have lost all their Christmas savings with the collapse of Fairpack. At these rates, £300 is paid back at £495.
2: I think the point made by my Honourable Lady causes is great, many of us great concern. I mean, when we see that these loans are made to desperate people at very high interest rates Often they're not well aware of them, and the Fair Pack situation has brought it very much to our attention. that are people who are driven very much into poverty situations, and these circumstances are made more difficult. The investigation on FairPack at the moment being done by DTI will hopefully give us some indication of changes that might help in these situations, as indeed I think the Select Committee of this House that's looking at this matter has made certain recommendations. It is undoubtedly true that these people, in the most unfortunate circumstances, suffering great deprivation, should be exploited in such a way.
0: John Greenway. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Mr
2: Speaker, the flooded
3: homes in Malton and Norton, which the Deputy Prime Minister kindly visited
2: in my constituency in the October 2000 floods, now have the benefit of very good flood defences, but there are communities the length and breadth of Britain, including still some in my constituency, that do not have the protection that they need and are exposed to serious flood risk. He will know that the stern review has predicted that river and sea levels will rise, and in those circumstances does he not think that the cut in Environment Agency funding for flood defences was a mistake? and should be reversed and indeed yeah. funding increased in the comprehensive spending review so that the communities have the protection that they need and deserve. Yeah. The Honourable Member will recall that when I visited this constituency, they were extremely concerned about the amount of resources going into flood protection, and rightly so. And from those meetings, of course, we have put record amounts, an increase of something like 35% in real terms in 1996-7 to 600000000 2000. 5 and 6. The cutting to which is referred, and the Honourable Member from a sitting intervention has reminded us, is on top of that increase, though. It has been a tremendous increase, and we inherited a reduced budget for flood control in 1997. We increased it by 35%. There have been one or two changes made at the margin, but undoubtedly the investment, as we've seen in his constituency, in flood control has been very much to the benefit of people who suffered from floods for so long. Still a lot to do, but we're still Record amounts of investment into these areas? Uh, does the Deputy Prime Minister share my concerns about the desperate plight of those people who have been
3: ripped off on the Fairfax scandal? And will he, uh, with the family fund closing today and it been very far short of the amount of money that is needed, will he use his good office to ensure that uh, persuade other colleagues in the Cabinet that the Government tops
2: up that family fund a bit further to ensure that those people are not left without a Christmas. I note the point made by the Honourable Member, and particularly that uh, I think five million is the amount of money that has been raised so far, and I think further calls have gone out to some of the companies involved to make a greater contribution to it. The debt, as I understand it, is in the region of something like £35 million, which is an awful lot of money. And I hope the inquiry now being conducted by the DTI can give us some idea how we can avoid it. I will certainly pass on his remarks as to whether the government can give any more in those circumstances.
0: Guardian Unlimited